Hi, welcome to the official podcast of the WCD. That's the World Congress of Dermatology, which will be held next in Singapore in 2023. I am Dr. Etin Wang from the National Skin Center of Singapore, and I will be a host for this podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you get your podcast. In this podcast, I will speak to dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. And today, Shashin, my resident co-host, is back with another very interesting topic for discussion. Shashin, what do you want to discuss today? Hi, glad to be back. And for today, I've picked a topic that's very close to my heart. A, because I'm a dermatology resident, and B, because I'm someone who loves painting and loves art. So it's about visual arts in dermatology training the eye. So in 2014, uh, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and Harvard Medical School, they began a partnership focused on building visual literacy skills for derm residents at the Harvard Combined Derm Residency Program. And I think it's very apt because our field is such a visual field. We rely on visual on inspection and making diagnoses based on classic morphology. So this is a class that's still being taught there since the since 2014, where they actually uh, initially had four sessions where they worked with the museum's art galleries and had these visual thinking strategies framework and some visual training exercise. Before the course commenced, the participants took a one-hour test, a pre-test, looking at medical images and art images. And during the course, they were taught to, just over four sessions, reflect on pieces of art, uh, answering three questions, basically. What can we find in this work? What do you see that makes you say that? And what more can we find? Since then, this has become a core part of the curriculum at uh, you know, the Harvard Derm Residency Program. Yes, I think if you think about the skin and the body as a canvas and it's trying to tell us something, right? We want to see what story the skin is telling us. And I think this visual art is a really good way to get people to think beyond what is presented to you and try to contextualize everything. So I think it's a very interesting way of teaching. Have you tried using this in your everyday practice? Well, uh, to a certain degree, when I started out in my residency, what I was taught was to look at the classical presentations of certain conditions. And even now, when I, for example, when I see blue letter consults or see patients in the clinic, I do try to match what I'm seeing and look at all the details and compare it to a prototype or an image that I have in my mind from a textbook. But what has really inspired me, you know, seeing consultants and senior colleagues, senior dermatologists is how they not only pick up the prototype, but also look out for variations. And I think that's where it's a bit challenging because it, it, it is easy to compare it to seeing a painting where you expect to see the same pattern, but it's when there's something out of the ordinary, something that's out of a certain painting style that you need to think twice, either have more exposure to more paintings or know what else to look out for. And that's, that's something we all as dermatology residents are still working on. Yes, that's definitely something that will come with experience. As you're learning, I think um, when you look at a lot of skin diseases, you're doing pattern recognition, you're going by morphology, as you mentioned. But I think what you're talking about visual art, you could bring in the principles of art as well. So when you appreciate a painting, you're looking at things like emphasis, balance, rhythm and unity of the colours and the forms, right? So I think that's what they mean by finding context in what's being presented to you. Um, I think you sent me an article and I think, do you find that this might be a way to also train AI to um, recognise skin conditions? Absolutely. Dermatology, in fact, makes the perfect candidate for um, artificial intelligence because 
on both the, the gross morphology, the demoscopic images, and the histology, it's entirely visual pattern recognition that helps us make the diagnosis. So if, for example, you feed in thousands of images for either demoscopy or histo or even the, the gross images into an AI algorithm, it helps build that neural network to then subsequently um, identify diseases just based on these images, or at least aid the clinician in identifying them. Yeah, but I think what what we're trying to come to with this visual art thing is that maybe there's one step further beyond that, that something maybe the machines cannot replicate in humans that we are able to contextualize and to be able to, you know, go that one step further with visual appreciation, visual literacy in dermatology. Exactly. I think one thing that does stand out, I mean, compared to a human versus an AI algorithm for example, if you look at a painting, there's always that subjective component that you can't mm-hmm. quite code into ones and zeros. For example, you may look at a painting and it, you find that it makes you either happy or sad. When you're a dermatologist seeing a patient, there's always that emotional aspect, the subjective, where you want this patient to get better and you're rooting for the patient. And that also, to some extent, would factor in when you're looking at a patient, whereas a machine would have some difficulty in judging you know the, the subjective aspect that's just what i felt comparing the two yes so thank you shashan for bringing this to me today i think it's very interesting and i had actually quite a lot of fun researching this topic thank you thank you very much and now actually i'm going to be going all the way from art to science because in this episode i'll be interviewing a scientist from singapore dr john common do you know him i do not but i'm excited to hear what he has to say today all right thank you shashan thank you very much okay bye, bye. <laughs> Okay, and today I have a very special guest. I've been interviewing dermatologists so far, but today I'd like to speak to a scientist here in Singapore, one of my collaborators, in fact, John Common. Hi, John. Hi, Etienne. Thanks for having me. John Common is a principal investigator at the Skin Research Institute of Singapore and the president of the Skin Research Society of Singapore. His lab focuses on studying skin biology, the mechanisms of skin barrier function, and inflammatory skin diseases, including atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata. Can you tell us a bit more about your research, John? Thanks, Atien. Thanks for the introduction. So I've been working on skin diseases since I did my PhD. Uh, Initially, I was working on um, kind of rare disorders related to connexins. Um, and, and since being in Singapore, you know, working with Birgit Lane originally on keratin disorders, I kind of grew more of an interest in atopic dermatitis and realized that all of the inflammatory components in these uh, common diseases that we see so often in, in you know, colleagues and friends and patients, in your case, uh, is super interesting. And that's something that my lab really wants to focus on nowadays. How long have you been in Singapore? Oh, I've been in Singapore for ages now. It's about 16 years coming up. So after my PhD in London um, with David Kelso, I um, got the opportunity to come out to Singapore when Birgit was moving her lab here. And so straight from my PhD, I came over as a postdoc, a junior postdoc, and I've kind of worked my way up slowly to, to have my own lab. And what would you say are the main pluses of doing research in Singapore? Well, what attracted me to come to Singapore originally was was A-star. As a a young scientist from from London, the opportunities and the the facilities and infrastructure that I saw when I came here to visit was was outstanding. Um, It was very exciting. The level of the collaborators that were here, the other scientists, was was really something that I'd never uh, seen before working in London. I mean, we, we have great facilities in London, but 
you know, it was all quite aged <laughs> to some of the places. And, and, and I think just having this fresh start in, in what was a, a new facility in Biopolis at the time was really um, something that I was very much looking forward to. So that's really what attracted me firstly to come. And of course, ASTAR is the Agency for Science, Technology and Research, which is a government statutory board in Singapore, which is collaborating with actually the National Skin Centre to form this entity called the Skin Research Institute of Singapore, where we're doing a lot of clinical and translational research. And as a spin-off of this, you're also the president of the Skin Research Society of Singapore. Can you tell us a bit more about that? When I came to Singapore with Birgit, there wasn't a lot of skin research in ASTAR. Obviously, National Skin Centre was, was the main... Uh, place where research was happening. So over the years with Berger and others, um, we, we've tried to connect people and, and work together on skin related problems. And this culminated in the idea of having a what was originally a virtual institute called the Skin Research Institute of Singapore. And this kind of brought together uh, people from the, the hospitals and the universities in a, a more formal way. And um, uh, and this has now become a physical location. But as a, as a kind of offshoot of this and the, the meetings that we had, the skin clubs originally and then the, um, the ad hoc meetings that we organized, firstly with uh, the UK and then others, and then we had big international meetings, we come to realize that actually having a skin research society was something that was quite viable in Singapore. And it really helped to bring together clinicians, engineers and um, biologists to form a, a group of people where we can bounce ideas. So that was the initiation of the, the society. And it's gone from strength to strength now. Hmm. And do you have a lot of collaborators with overseas partners? Personally, I, I do have quite a few. I, I, I retain my network in uh, the UK. Um, some of my mentors and, and friends are uh, you know, now PIs in, in the UK. So that, that's still a strong link for me for collaborations. And since being in Singapore, you know, I've got the chance to meet uh, colleagues and collaborators in Japan, such as Kenji Kabashima, and so you know we collaborate as well. So as well as having my roots in the UK, I've been able to grow some collaborations in Asia, and and also in the US now. So I think the position of Singapore in the world is is really a bonus for collaborations, um, with the links to Europe as well as with it, within Asia. Yeah, I think if you scroll back, Kenji was one of my first guests on this podcast. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what advice do you have for clinicians who want to do research? I think you and I have collaborated on a, a number of studies, and I think we have come across a lot of clinicians who are not very interested in research. Is there anything that you can tell, say to them that might increase their interest in doing basic and translational research? I think ideally they should talk to scientists and engage and, and, and try and find out what, what people are doing in the labs, because I think that's kind of the spark for, for having ideas and, and maybe understanding what can be done in the labs that could help in clinical settings, clinical research. Within Birgit's lab and then also within my lab, we, we do have a lot of clinicians that come to us who are keen to get a bit of experience. And quite often when they come to the lab, it's not what they expected. You know, it, it's, it's a bit different from, from what they'd imagined. And, and they get a lot of enjoyment and they learn a lot from just a, even a short time in the lab. So I think talking to people and then trying to get a little bit of exposure in the lab is useful. I think it's important for residents and trainees to actually get in touch with scientists and maybe even MD-PhDs to learn about their experiences. And short stints in labs 
wouldn't hurt as well. I think it's also important for administrators to see the importance of dermatologists actually collaborating and interacting with scientists on a regular basis to have these collaborations come around organically. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the other useful thing of the Skin Society. Um, as you as you know, because you're involved, we, um, we do have webinar series that involve clinicians and scientists. And I think this kind of increases the exposure and gets the people to learn from one another um, and also make new colleagues and friends. Although it's all virtual at the moment, it does give the chance uh, for people to see people's faces. And hopefully when we can meet more regularly, we can have some more social events as well so that people can chat a bit more informally. Yes, and I believe that the WCD in 2023, there's going to be quite a significant um, scientific presence there. But before that, we are actually going to be having a skin research conference next year, right? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so we're planning to have another uh, virtual conference, uh, likely in March. Um, and we're still working out the details of this and, and figuring out the program. Uh, it won't be led by me, I'm, I'm, although I'm the, the president, I'm, I'm going to leave it to some colleagues to, to chair the meeting. And these conferences generally will have um, a mixture of bioengineering, biology, and some clinical research as well. So I'm really looking forward to this. With the virtual format, we can um, have people from all over the world uh, dialing in to, to give their, their, their talks. So like last year, it should be a wonderful event. I'm really looking forward to that. I'll leave a link of that in the show notes um, when we get more information about that. Okay, John, I had a very good time talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye. And that was the official podcast of the WCD. Don't forget to follow us on all our socials on Facebook, Instagram at WCD2023 Singapore, and check out our WCD website, WCD2023Singapore.org for more updates and content on the WCD. And until next time, stay safe and use sunblock.